Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us here at Midweek. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. And that's another day where much of the country dealing with winter weather, winter conditions. Please be very careful out there. Be safe. So here's what we're going to be talking about today. Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone will join us as we talk about markets and market reaction to different events, including the trade talks with China. Tom Slate, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, has been with the Grains Council for 25 years, and he has announced his retirement. We're going to look back over those years, things he's been involved with, what he feels are some of the big accomplishments, and to get an update on some of the market development work going on around the world. And the U.S. and China and all sorts of different uh, reports coming out about what may or may not come from them. We're going to talk with Erin Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, get her take on the talks, what uh, her reaction is, what she's seeing and hearing, and where do we go from here. All that coming up on today's program. But we're going to start things off as we uh, check the news. Very happy to have back with us Catherine Boudreaux. Uh, she is with P- Politico, and Politico's Morning Agri- Look forward to it getting caught up on uh, different events going on in agriculture. Catherine, thank you for joining us. You and the team doing a great job uh, uh, reporting on the different things going on in agriculture, and there are quite a few things going on right now. I know you've really been focusing on Farm Bill implementation, which is um, trying to get caught up, everyone, USDA, trying to get caught up after the government shutdown. Yes, that's right. Thanks so much for having me on today. Um, We've been tracking closely, uh, and Agriculture Secretary Sunny Perdue and Deputy, Deputy Secretary Steve Sensky have both said that, you know, the dairy safety net is their top priority, uh, getting that out as soon as possible because the, the shutdown really slowed down the efforts to get that program up and running. Um, this is a totally um, updated uh, safety net for dairy farmers, so I think lawmakers are anxious to see it get rolled out. Yeah, do we have any idea? it, but do we know how far they are along with it, how how much progress they've made on getting it done? Yeah, I haven't uh, had a clear readout about how far uh, into that process they are, but I know that House Agriculture Ranking Member Colin Peterson has raised some concerns about just how like complicated it might be for USDA Farm Service Agency and their field officers and crop insurance agents to kind of make sense of all these new tools that dairy farmers will now have. So, not only is there like additional protection under the margin protection program, which is the old program under the last farm bill, it's been rebranded as a dairy risk coverage, but essentially the same program just with better protection for dairy farmers. Um, they can also they can be enrolled in that, but also they can purchase some crop insurance. Some restrictions on being enrolled in both programs have been removed. Um, so, you know, there's going to be a lot of education needed to uh, for dairy farmers to say, hey, here's your option, what would best work for your farm. You can enroll a certain amount of milk production in various programs. So I think we'll all be kind of waiting to see, you know, how exactly that, that education process goes and if this is really a better safety net for dairy farmers. What's going on with conservation programs and impl- implementation of those? Yeah, so NRCS Chief Matt Lohr, uh, he... He told my colleague 
uh, at Politico that the agency is aiming to finalize these new farm bill uh, conservation program. Well, you know, the changes that they made in the farm bill by around October. So I think that's a, a pretty aggressive of timeline. Um, at least he said that but it's aggressive a timeline. But um, and and also they are looking at moving forward with this interim rule on um, wetlands, which I think is kind of flown under the radar. Uh, and essentially, this is you know standards that USDA has used for years to determine what qualifies as a wetland. Um, and they're you know still reviewing comments on this interim rules, and they don't know when it will be made final. Uh, but of course, these determinations are very important because of conservation compliance. So, you know, farmers can't qualify for crop insurance and and um, commodity supports if they aren't taking steps to um, protect wetlands. You know, what is USDA saying about uh, disaster aid for farmers and ranchers? Yeah, this has been um, something that Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue has been very vocal about. He was very disappointed that the spending deal that Congress and President Donald Trump signed uh, didn't include $12 billion in disaster relief for um, states hit by Hurricane Michael, for example, and wildfires last year. So it would have been, uh, I guess, $3 billion for agriculture. That's that's the uh, about how much would be allocated for the agriculture industry in this. But it was left out at the very last minute. Secretary Purdue said, you know, they were all prepared to be, be rolling out this this disaster relief program, but it was stripped at the last minute. I think it got kind of just caught up in the the political realities of of averting a shutdown, uh, well, a partial shutdown once again. We're talking with Catherine Boudreau with Politico's Morning Agriculture. Catherine, um, of course, the talks with China, we hear differing stories coming out. The deadline of March 1 may get extended. Uh, President Trump now talking about, oh, we could see China buy more corn. Uh, then we'll hear another report saying, well, there's still a lot to do, and they haven't made any real progress on big issues. So we get these conflicting reports. What are you hearing? Yeah, so it does appear that President Donald Trump is leaning toward extending this March 1st deadline. Um, and that that deadline is, you know, the president has threatened to hike the already um, 10 and 25 percent tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods, even higher so that's kind of like the looming threat ahead of us. Um, and But it does seem like he's leaning toward extending that. I think he said Tuesday that March 1st isn't a quote-unquote magical date. Um, and, of course, these discussions between U.S. and Chinese officials have been going on um, for a number of days now. They picked back up. You know, they were in Beijing last week, and now they're picking back up in Washington uh, yesterday. And I think the high-level talks uh, will start Thursday between U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer um, you know, Secretary, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, Commerce Secretary uh, Wilbur Ross. So they'll all be at the table. Um, but again, it seems like that, that March 1st deadline will have to be, be pushed. And I think the looming dead, or sorry, the looming question hanging over all of this, um, you know, it, obviously we're all wondering if they, if China will purchase more farm goods. But uh, the big ticket uh, uh, point of contention is whether China will make concessions that go far enough on addressing issues like intellectual property theft and, and more more structural issues about their economy and how, how they're um, trying to become like a tech giant, excuse me, a tech giant. Yeah, it's always interesting. The president will make some comment like, oh, they're going to buy more corn or more soybeans. But then like the next statement is, but this is much more than about buying corn or soybeans. So, you know, you, exactly. you get those kind of comments. Yeah. 
And yeah, we you. are reminded that there's a lot in this that they're trying to uh, to work later on the program. Well, Catherine, good to talk with you again, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. That's Catherine Boudreau. Uh, she's a contributor to uh, Politico's Morning Agriculture Report. Yeah, we're going to talk more about those China talks with Erin Ennis, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, a little bit later on, and get her thoughts on these uh, statements that have been made by the President and other high-ranking officials about the, the deadline and just what may or may not get accomplished. And what about the, this latest comment about them buying more U.S. corn? In fact, we're going to talk about that next with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. How does the market react to that and more coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. If you don't know where to look, it's easy to miss something big. Sometimes the answers to our biggest challenges are found in the most unexpected places. The clean energy solutions we need are right in front of us. Always have been. Opportunity is everywhere if you know where to look. See the world differently. Poet. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that culture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out-salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips, have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, 
manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to catch up with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thanks for joining us. China talks going on this week. We hear the president make a statement like, oh, they're gonna, China's going to be buying a lot more corn from us. And then, of course, he turns right around, he'll make a statement. But, of course, this is more than about buying corn or, or, or soybeans. Uh, where do you gauge, where do the markets gauge these talks are at? Uh, is it a positive vibe as far as the markets are concerned? generally positive for the broader markets, I would say. Now, the grain and oilseed sector continues to be skeptical. President Trump appears to be trying to walk a fine line between maintaining his political base in rural America, but also keeping his focus, his pressure on China and the more structural issues. I think it's significant that he invited Trade Representative uh, uh, Advisor Peter Navarro back into the circle of trade talks in Washington this week. He's a hardliner who generally uses when he wants to push China on the more structural issues. So despite the fact that they're talking about agricultural uh, purchases, I think that suggests something about where these trade talks are really being emphasized this week. China has... Their state-run media put out a story warning about the grave dangers to the global economy if we raise the tariffs uh, on March 2nd. tells me that they're a little bit worried about what might happen. They want to put on a little political pressure here in the United States. But the fact that he mentioned corn when previously the emphasis seemed to be more on soybeans when they talked ag, I thought was significant. That's been something that's been a bit of a mystery to us for quite some time because corn does pencil out economically for for the Chinese government to buy. Yeah, I thought it was interesting he mentioned corn. Now, we're also hearing out of China their plans to really try to uh, increase their production, but their their need is so great, it's it's hard to imagine they could increase their production enough uh, to uh, make that big of a dent on what they're going to have to buy from somebody else. Yeah, you're talking about increasing soybean production there in China, and, and uh, they've been taking steps uh, last couple of years to try to increase it, and they get a few percentage points, but remember that's from a very small crop. Soybeans make up a very small percent of their acreage, so when they increase the percentage of 5% or so, that still doesn't go very far toward meeting their needs. Our bigger concern right now is African swine fever and a herd liquidation that's taken place as a result of that disease and what that's doing to demand destruction. Word that we're getting out of China is that 10 million sows have been liquidated, uh, and that's going to be very difficult to replace. Right now we're looking at soybean demand being down around 20% year on year. So that's an awfully lot of soybeans um, coming off the demand side of the balance sheet. Now we've heard reports that that disease has spread to Vietnam. There's always concern of that something like that being a you know an outbreak that uh, continues to spread so we how concerned are traders of this disease spreading further 
I'm very concerned, and I think we saw it in the markets yesterday where rumors came out about the possibility of it being in North America, and that was later denied. Um, but uh, we saw it have a significant negative impact both on hog prices and, and on soy prices and soy meal prices. Um, so this is something that, uh, yeah, the China trade talks are the current focus, but I think as we go forward in 2019, African swine fever is going to become the story uh, 2019-2020, altering where meat is produced in the world and therefore where soy meal demand is in the world uh, and the various trade patterns necessary to distribute then the meat and, uh, and the soy meal to where the production is. So they could be looking at buying more pork but less soybean meal. Is that the way you look at it in the in the near term? Certainly more pork. Now, one of the things that we're monitoring is uh, pork prices versus prices of ulterior meats or alt- alternative meats, kind of trying to gauge consumer reaction to all of this. Our initial input was that the consumer has been responding positively to government propaganda, I don't want to use propaganda, information uh, advertising that pork is safe and uh, maintaining demand for pork. But as we're seeing pork prices um, come down because of early slaughter of hogs, we're seeing a sharp rise in prices for the alternative meats of beef and, and poultry and lamb and some of the other alternative meats. And that suggests to us that the consumer is shifting away from pork to some of these other meats. So we see opportunities for imports of the other meats as well. And that's a, that's a huge story when we stop and think about how big a part pork plays in the in the Chinese diet. I mean, that's a staple for them. It is. And the consumer in China loves meat. They have fallen in love with meat over the last decade or two, and they love it, and they don't want to move away from it. We've seen a significant slowdown in discretionary buying of items like TVs and cars and stuff, but they have the consumer buying of meat has stayed strong. So right now it looks like they're not just going away from meat as they go away from pork, but they are shifting to other meats as they do so. And pork is still the number one meat, um, but we are seeing some shift in consumer preference. And, and, and the demand for these other meats, I think, is going to help lift the whole protein complex in the global market. We're talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, I'm starting to see more and more reports uh, about acreage uh, for this year and more people coming to the realization of something you and I have been talking about for some time. There just doesn't look to be the, the big move from, soy, uh, from soybean acres to corn acres that we thought there might be end of last year, even the first part of this year. Uh, the market signals just haven't been as enough to make that switch in, on a large scale, right? You're you're exactly right, and it's very concerning to me. And uh, we've been seeing China buy soybeans from us, and the, the hope of the industry was, okay, China's going to save the balance sheet. We won't have to reduce acreage. We just don't see that. China's been taking between 13 and 15 million bushels per week over the past five weeks or so, Uh, and yet we're still 435 million bushels below the seasonal pace we need to be on to hit USDA's target. And as I look this morning at the the ship lineup, 
uh, on the export front. Um, I, I, I don't see many ships from going to China on the docket going forward. It's like they, well, they've been taking shipments that that may be slowing down now and maybe switching origin back to South America. So that's concerning to me as well. And then, of course, you got input costs and a lot of factors that figure in that will keep a lot of those soybean acres in soybeans. Exactly what we don't need. My balance sheet right now has ending stocks for 2019-2020, assuming normal weather, which we have to do, at pushing above a billion bushels, whereas corn continues to slowly tighten if we don't get more acres. Now, we do have to worry about uh, some bigger crops in Argentina, but overall, I don't think that's going to be a, a big sway on our balance sheet. Overall, it does it does appear that it should be generally a little bit better for corn in the year ahead, uh, while soybeans continue to uh, see their supplies bloat. will be interesting to see what we hear out of USDA with their Outlook conference coming up. Uh, certainly, that's going to grab a lot of headlines the next couple of days. We need to remember that those numbers were were created largely in late October, early November, using the October USDA WASD report as a foundation for it. So a lot of things have changed between now and then. Um, but yet it will grab the headlines, and uh, the markets will run with the numbers. All right. So your outlook, corn, you're, you're somewhat friendly. What kind of a number front number are you seeing for corn this year? Well, right now we're still going with 91.2 million acres on, on corn, uh, and uh, that should pull stocks down, we believe, with normal weather down to around 1.2 billion bushels or about a 29-day supply, which argues for higher prices. Uh, and uh, on soybeans, we've been going with a number of 87.5 million acres. Uh, some of the data we've been getting in from our clients suggests that it may come a little bit lower than that, but I'm looking at that data closely now. I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical on that um, as, as uh, I just don't see it that big of a switch yet at this time. So price uh, projection, what are you seeing? Uh, price <laughs> Really, when you look at these fundamentals, and we base all of our, our projections of cash off of history of stocks to use, well, other times we've had similar stocks to use, and this is unprecedented territory. So it would suggest that we should be looking at November futures with a 7 in front of them probably instead of a 9. Uh, we did start to see the charts break down yesterday, specifically the lead March contract started to break down technically. And uh, the question now is at the beginning of the end for this market as it starts to trade reality. I know a lot of farmers would rather wait insurance uh, um, setting price um, before the market broke to keep that guarantee up there from the month of February. All right. We'll see what happens. Arlen, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Always great perspective from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. So what are our customers around the world saying? What's being uh, said over in China with the talks going on? We're going to talk with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. That's coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. The folks at NK Seeds know that the ag industry is changing, and they know you already have enough surprises to deal with. So they thought you'd like a heads up. 
They're building a new NK. If you're coming to Commodity Classic, be sure to visit the Syngenta booth to learn more about their reinvigorated NK corn portfolio and consistently high-yielding NK soybeans, all bred with the latest technology to help you maximize ROI. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybeans fell hard again on Tuesday to the lowest level since mid-January on this Wednesday trading session. We've got more minus signs pressuring the futures, some talk of the Trump administration imposing auto tariffs on EU cars. Since the EU's been supplementing lost U.S. soybean sales this year, the threat of retaliation weighing on traders' minds, according to the Wire Talk. Export inspections for wheat for the week ending February 14th. Once again, disappointing, according to the Wire Talk, well under the weekly amount needed to attain USDA's projections. Corn was firm last week, but Tuesday was another story. We were down sharply to start the holiday-shortened week on this Wednesday trading session in corn. We're a fraction higher. March contract up a quarter of a cent at 369 and three quarters. Soybeans, the March contract down four and three quarters at 896. November down four and a half at 941 and a quarter. For the wheats, Chicago March down nine and a half at 480 and a quarter. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March down four and three quarters at 550 and three quarters. Kansas City March down seven and a quarter at 4.53 and a half cent. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, the April contract is up 22 at 128.67. Feeder cattle, March, up a nickel at 143.80. Lean hog futures saw sharp losses yesterday. More minus signs on this Wednesday. The April contract is down 2.27 at 54.22. Outside markets on Wall Street, the S&P is flat, Dow down three, NASDAQ up 19. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, Answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. You can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, 
Back to Mike Adams. And we are happy to talk with Tom Slate, President and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, who has announced he's retiring from uh, that position. Tom, what, 25 years off and on with the Grains Council, and you're uh, you're saying goodbye. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Uh, actually, I was kind of counting it up. I'm thinking like about 57 years with agriculture as a whole. But, yeah, it's time to perhaps take some time and reflect, and that's pretty hard to do in today's trade world. So, uh I'm going to hang up my cleats and and see what else is new. Well, let's look back over those 25 years. Uh, What do you you think have been some of your biggest accomplishments uh, in your work there at the Grains Council? Well, uh, surviving, number one. But seriously, um, I think back uh, when I first started with the council, we were just beginning our work with China and development of that market. And and being there at the, at the start was really uh, cool and really interesting to see. Um, but then I, I quickly, uh, you know, go into uh, when I spent a lot of time in the Soviet Union back when the Soviet Union was the number one market for U.S. corn, and that was during the Gorbachev years where change was happening at lightning speed every single time you traveled there. And I traveled there every month. Uh, is, you know, something different was happening. And trying to figure out that jigsaw puzzle and what was going on there felt pretty that, it felt pretty rewarding to me. But then beyond that, uh, you know, I, I moved over to the Asia region and, and watching those, those uh, Asian tiger economies, the, 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 the current ones uh, continue to grow, and the new tiger economies like Vietnam, you know, come onto the scene. That was pretty exciting to be part of that and to, and to adjust programs. But I guess what I feel most uh, you know, uh, proudest about is how, you know, the council's been able to be nimble and, and watch and, and anticipate these market uh, changes and do what I've always said it has to be done. Uh, the world belongs to those who show up, you know, going there and talking to customers face-to-face, finding out what's going on, and trying to position U.S. agriculture accordingly. Interesting hearing you talk about the Soviet Union. For those that uh, don't remember those days, we always talked about the Soviet Union the way we talk about China now. Everything evolved around what was the Soviet Union going to do? What were they? How much were they going to buy? How much could they produce? Uh, were they going to go somewhere else other than the U.S.? Um, we we have all those discussions now about China, but back in the day, it was the Soviet Union. Yeah, it's a, you know similarities are really striking, Mike. Particularly when you look at you know centrally planned economies and how they make decisions. And, and yeah, absolutely, that experience comes uh, resounding to me almost every day as we try to figure out what's going on with China and what, what China wants to do, uh, both for its population and what the state council wants to do for its population. So when you look at what's happening now with China, with talks again going on this week, are you frustrated that a lot of the progress has kind of been halted, or are, are you seeing an opportunity for a big breakthrough here? Well, actually, neither, Mike. I, I'm encouraged by the fact that they're still talking. I'm not, you know, deluding myself that there's going to be any big breakthrough because I think uh, agriculture, U.S. agriculture, has said pretty consistently, you know, without some structural reforms that are needed in China, we don't want any sort of celebratory purchases, you know, or one-time purchases. That it really doesn't do us a whole lot of good because there's some other things that need to be changed in our trade relationships with China. And I've said this many times before in your show, Mike. I mean, for U.S. Grains Council, everything that we uh, represent has, has been a great market. China's been a great market for us, and then now we're completely shut off. 
we want to get those 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 uh, issues solved, the tariff issues solved, the retaliatory issues tariff solved. We want to get the intellectual property stuff solved, the uh, you know forced technology transfer stuff solved. We want to get back to a to a you know kind of an open, uh, mutually beneficial trading relationship like it started to be when I first started working on this back in the early '80s. From an ag standpoint, we've heard comments about soybeans uh, as far as uh, China, but the president now has come out and talked about China buying a lot more corn. What do you make of that? Yeah, I wouldn't put a whole lot of uh, emphasis in that because, again, um, you know, there's a lot of things on the table. I think one of the things we always look at, Mike, when we look at the China trade issues, where can we have a billion-dollar difference in Chinese imports of agricultural products? And, of course, agriculture races to the front of that line along with airplanes. And so, yeah, corn, yes, DDGs, yes, ethanol, yes, uh, yeah, uh, sorghum, yes, uh, perhaps even opening up the door for some barley. But, uh, uh, you know, many of those products, almost all of them, with the exception of barley, could have a billion-dollar impact. So, uh, you know, we're, I know the negotiators, uh, USDA and USTR negotiators, know this very, very well. And so, you know, we're watching very closely. Yes, there's, there's rumors out there, but there's always rumors out there. And one thing that I've, that I've always learned about China is to never put too much stock in the rumors. We're talking with Tom Slade, who's retiring as president and CEO of the U.S. Greens Council. Tom, there's some key markets, and you've, you've outlined these for us before, but anything really breaking or developing in some of these markets? Well, yeah, there always are. I think, you know, we're, we're getting close uh, in the Japan with uh, perhaps importing some corn-based ethanol. Uh, I, you know, we, that may happen as early as uh, this spring. Um, we have talked about this before, and it continues to be encouraging. Um, we're really encouraged that uh, this week uh, the Minister of Agriculture for Mexico, Victor Villalobos, is in town, and we're able to meet with him and kind of see how things are going there because, yeah, we're on an upward trend there, and I think one of the key messages that we get uh, when we talk to a lot of our friends in and around Mexico is, you know, you know, don't don't go overreacting. Things are business is still good there, so I keep stressing that. And, and then uh, and one of the things we're really excited about is that we have, um, you know, the council got just under fourteen million dollars in the agricultural trade promotion program announced by Secretary Perdue. Uh, we're really excited about that. And one of the things, you know, obviously, ethanol is going to be a big part of that, but we're also going to be turning over a lot more uh, work in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, which I still feel pretty bullish on, not in the near future, but in the medium future, yes. So there's a lot going on. Uh, we've got a lot to do, and, uh, you know, our folks work for the Grains Council all around the world are hard at it. Well, there's still talk about, you know, working out something with the European Union, but it remains to be seen if agriculture will be a part of that or not. The U.S. insists on it, but, uh, boy, they're still balking over on the European side. Yeah, it, it really boils down to, Mike, is, you know, how quickly does the U.S. want to have a deal with Europe? I mean, if the word quick, I, like I said many times, word, I've never used the word fast or quick in trade policy in the same sentence together, but if the desire is to have this go quicker than normal, you know, ag will, Europeans know agriculture will bog this thing down uh, because that is a very contentious point. We're con- constantly pressuring, um, talking to folks within the government about, you know, keeping agriculture in. They're hanging firm with this. But if somebody, you know, you know, blinks and say, well, we, we want to have something, 
on the books with EU, um, we're going to cut out ag. We're going to be very, very watching very closely for that to happen because that would be a bad deal for ag. Well, we started off. I asked you what uh, you you were, you know, proudest of and happiest about as far as accomplishments over your 25 years with the Grains Council. Any big regrets? Things that you you wished you'd been able to get done or thought would have been done by now but aren't? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Not, not too many, really, because the council's in a very good position now, and that's why I feel good about uh, uh, moving on, because we have the resources we need to be present globally. Yeah, we could use a few less of these trade irritants. Uh, you know, I'd love to see this biotechnology thing you know, be solved before I leave, but that's not going to happen. Um, uh, but, you know, again, at least we have, you know, the sort of dialogue we need to keep it going. Uh, but I think U.S. agriculture is well-positioned. Grains Council is well-positioned. Uh, there's a lot of demand out there, a lot of interest in buying our products, particularly from buyers we talk to in China. And so, uh, you know, the trade tensions, yeah, th- those are something that we're, we've been a real uh, problem to, to navigate around over the last couple of years. But uh, we're making some progress now, and, you know, it feels a lot better. You have to have patience in this work. We've talked a long time, uh, many times, about how you have to develop relationships, and that takes time. You have to have, uh, you know, those personal contacts in these countries. And then you can have all that work for years go on, and then something at the, a higher government level like we're seeing right now with China and some other places can really set a lot of that work back. Uh, that has to be frustrating at times. It is frustrating, but, you know, also some of these, you know, contacts, when you have these sorts of discussions, you can take them in other directions and open up other doors, and that's something what we've been doing now. Now, again, at least we're talking. That's the best part about this. And at least we know that there's demand out there if we can get through these, these issues. Uh, yeah, it creates a complicated picture. There's a lot of conflicting uh, interests when you talk about trade and, you know, the U.S. Act, you know, economy in general. But, yeah, uh, you just have to really hang in there and hang in there. And do the work. Go talk to your customers in their marketplace. That's really, really important. Hear what they're saying. That really helps inform negotiators. Yeah, I know you'll be watching closely how this USMCA deal uh, progresses in Congress. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be complicated. Um, I like the way U.S. agriculture is coming together on this. Uh, there are still some issues. The 232 tariffs have got to be resolved. But uh, I like the way, way agriculture is engaging on this and encouraging. And, again, there's some multi-sectoral work going on, uh, talking to other sectors. It's going to be a tough one, tough battle. And uh, I know the folks that are going to be lobbying hard on this are really well-positioned and well-organized. We're going to make sure they have the best information possible. Well, Tom, wish you the very, very best. Congratulations on all the great work that you've done, and always appreciate you taking the time to join us and share the, your insight, your perspectives, and your optimism. Good to talk with you again, and good luck to you in the future. Well, thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure visiting with you. We'll see you down the road. Take care. Yes, I'm uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, Tom. Tom Slate, retiring as president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. We wish him the very, very best. All right, up next, more perspective on the U.S.-China trade talks. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President with the U.S.-China Business Council, joins us next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. 
You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the U.S. never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. 
odd walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, situation 180 over 110 and i had a stroke and i'm 33 so i never see this coming if you've come off your treatment plan get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise diet and medication plan that works for you go to loweryourhbp.org i had to tell everything's changed Head to tell brought to you by the american heart association american medical association and the ad council information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams all right we continue uh, discussing these trade talks going on this week between the u.s and china and what uh, may come from them let's get the per- perspective of aaron ennis senior vice president of the u.s china business council aaron thanks as always for joining us what are you expecting this week, or what are you hoping to see or hear from these talks this week? Hi, Mike. Um, we don't have a good sense of whether there will be an announcement this week yet. Uh, what we've been hearing is that good progress is being made and that they are working now on a memorandum of understanding that would actually put into text what both sides have agreed to. We view that as a positive development, but they've only got 10 days before the deadline. Having the negotiators here this week is good, but I don't know that they necessarily have had sufficient time to get to the final details. So right now we're still counseling folks to be ready for this, to go right up to the deadline and then potentially get an extension. But it does sound like that might be in the cards. I was going to say, how likely is an extension, do you think? It really depends on what the talks this week go like. I mean, what we've been hearing regularly from the U.S. government is that China has been making some compromises in some areas, but not in others. If the Chinese have come this week with some strong offers in the areas where the U.S. had felt they were falling short, then I think an extension is very possible. The president, of course, has also said that he views March 1 not as a a firm deadline, and he'd be willing to extend if they were making progress. And at least right now, all indications are they are making progress. So I think it's probably a better than 50% chance. But recognizing that things change frequently on these issues uh, with this administration. Yeah. And the president came out and said, you know, he expects China will be buying a lot more corn from the U.S. You mentioned corn. In the past, it's been primarily soybeans he's talked about. But this time he mentioned corn. But then he always comes right back and says, but this is much more than just buying corn. farm products there's much more to this so should we get in the ag community should we get very excited about that or or be kind of you know you know take it uh, with a you know kind of cautiously and kind of a wait and see attitude on that so um i think there's probably a couple of ways to look at this the first off is that i don't think it was ever going to be sufficient just to have purchases come out of this and whether it's Soybeans or corn, that really doesn't get at the broader issues that were at the root of this case. But the other thing to keep in mind is we do understand that that there are negotiations as part of this process that are specific to some of the market access issues that American agriculture products have had. So some of the um, 
subsidies that China's sectors have been receiving, as well as uh, how China treats imported products when they're looking at them at the port, or how the tariffs are applied against them. So I would say it would be probably best to look at this as a hopeful sign that you might get more sales immediately out of it. But also, we know that they're working on having some longer-term issues. This falls in that structural category that the president and the USTR keep talking about. So there is some hope that this will actually have some broader benefits for agriculture. Outside of agriculture, is pressure mounting on the administration to get something done? Are business interests in this country saying, hey, this is hurting the economy, it's holding us back, we need to get this done sooner rather than later. Is there that kind of pressure building? I would say a little bit. Certainly a strong concern about how the tariffs are affecting American companies. But what we're seeing in Washington is less of a sense of pressure to get something done quickly and more pressure to get something done substantively. And if that means that more time needs to be taken, then I think that the business community more broadly would be comfortable as as long as it means that those tariffs don't increase on March 1st. And ideally, it means that there's a plan of action to remove the tariffs and that China removes it as well. Because isn't worst-case scenario we go through all this and don't get meaningful change? I think worst-case scenario is we go through all of this, we don't get meaningful change, and the tariffs that have been put in place since last summer remain in place with no plan of action of how to get rid of them. That would certainly not be a great outcome. Yeah, uh, and I think that's a concern. But uh, as we – are you hopeful – I mean, are you optimistic that significant change, dramatic change will get done uh, when all this is said and done, whenever that may be? So I am optimistic that there will be – some new commitments that China makes potentially beyond what they have committed to for past administrations. How extensive that is, I don't know yet. I mean, what we've been hearing is that it sounds like there's good progress on intellectual property rights issues, market access issues, including on some of those ag issues, but that there continues to be challenges on some of the core issues that the administration is concerned about, like subsidies and technology transfer issues. So it very well could be a mixed bag outcome. What are you hearing from folks in China, and how concerned are they about looking like they're caving in to the United States or giving in or going to, you know, that they're going to somehow be perceived as a loser in this? I think there is a concern front. Um, Interestingly, that's kind of the other narrative that we hear in Washington is concern that the president is going to, Um, cave and not get as much out of it. So it's an interesting dynamic that both sides are concerned about looking weak with what the outcome is. Whether that affects how strong an offer they're willing to make or if it instead um, incentivizes them to take a harder line against the other side, you know, we'll probably know a little bit more by the end of the week. But hopefully it's incentivizing them to work towards a good deal. And real quick, Aaron, uh, the big question, how much does China really need us? How much can they get from uh, other sources, other countries? What's your assessment of that? So what our perspective has been is that there probably is some substitution that China can do in the short term. But American agriculture is among the most uh, efficient and productive in the world. So as a long-term solution, 
they do need at least some U.S. ag products and probably more uh, in the short term. Uh, what the risk, I think, is going to be is whether other economies become sufficiently productive thanks to new market opportunities for them that they take away market share in the short term for American agriculture, and so you lose market share and sales, and that China attempts or finds a way to become more efficient domestically as well. Yep. A lot on the line, that's for sure. We'll talk again after these talks uh, this week and get your perspective. Thank you, Aaron. Sounds great, Mike. Bye. Take care. Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Have a great day, everyone.